Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Hello and welcome to Advent 4. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Albany, Oregon. The readings for Advent 4 come to us from Second uh, Samuel 7, for, uh, Luke 1 and Psalm 89, as well as Romans 16 and Luke 1 again. The first Luke being the Magnificat, the second Luke being earlier in Luke when the angel Gabriel announces to Elizabeth. So I have a number of thoughts on this that I think are important, um, and I will provide links in the show notes to uh, posts in the training room that cover Jesus' name and family, uh, you know, the, this idea of royalty and, and how it conflicts with uh, the priesthood, which is kind of the political structure that was intended for Israel. Um, but in Second Samuel 7, and those of you who are subscribers know that uh, first forward is kind of the wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, uh, just reflections, no readings, no prayer, just you know the the meat and potatoes of uh, first formation, but also with Sunday readings. Um, and anybody's listened to me for any amount of time knows that I have some doubts about monarchy uh, and the way we uh, the gospels and uh, the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament deal with this Messiah. And I, I suppose at the at the outset I should say. It's my understanding from the Bible that kings and the monarchical system was a foreign concept to Israel. I'll say that real quick again. Monarchy as a system of political governance was a concept that was foreign to Israel and its own telling of its own story in the Old Testament, right? The Hebrew scriptures. So what God creates or what he has done in uh, Joshua 6 after you know, all the, the, the Torah is about their kind of foundation myth. Joshua and Judges is about how that the founding uh, was then unfolded in their, uh, in their taking of the promised land and inhabiting it. It's not a pretty story. Joshua, they, they do a lot of things right, most of things, I guess I would say. Judges, they start doing a lot of things real wrong. But in there, it tells a story of this construction by tribe, by by familial connection, each clan gets a portion of land. The smallest tribes, or I should say, the the nominally the smallest tribes, the two half tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, get in Manasseh's case a huge portion of land, and in Ephraim's case, they get the capital in Jerusalem. Benjamin is right beside Ephraim, down there by Jerusalem. Um, and uh, they were the uh, Benjamin uh, being uh, one of um, Abraham's sons. Shit, now I'm forgetting. Ephraim and Manasseh were Joseph's sons. They're the two half-tribes of Israel. Joseph was not the youngest. Benjamin was of the 12. Um, however, I think that Joseph takes promise because Benjamin, uh, uh, Rachel died in giving birth to Benjamin. And so I think it's a sore subject. Anyway, um, the thing to look at is how those clans then organize themselves politically. 
the only permanent political structure which dealt with power, which belonged to God, were the priests and the priestly system. And the priests had to be um, uh, Aaronic, that's with an A, not an I, as in from the, Air, the line of Aaron, the, the lineage of Aaron. And then even more specifically, the Zadokite priests, uh, Zadok was a descendant of Aaron, um, they would be the high priests. And the high priest was a priest who also had extra duties. There's a bunch of just normal everyday priests. And these are the, this is the only permanent political structure in Israel. And each, um, uh, there were, what, six or nine Levitical cities. They did, the, the clan of Levi did not get any land. They just got cities. But this is a political structure. The only political ruler, and I use that word very carefully, were judges. And judges were charismatic figures they were not appointed by anybody. They just rose out organically from the masses when they were under stress. And God worked with the judges to free Israel from their oppressors, the first of whom is Deborah, or the earliest, at least historically. Then we have Gideon, uh, and then ending with Samuel. Samuel says explicitly the monarchical system is a rejection of God and a rejection of Israel's, Israel's own rejection of its calling as a set-apart people which is to say a holy people, right? So they adopt the world's system of governance. It is a foreign concept to Israel. So David is a big question mark, right? We read about David in First Samuel, I'm sorry, Second Samuel 7, and he wants to move the tabernacle to Jerusalem, and then eventually he'll later want to build a temple. But that is an improper imaginative uh, act on David's part. He's making a mistake, and God tolerates it. And David himself, as king, is kind of a tolerable mistake. The people ask for a king. They demand it. God says to Samuel, it's not you they've rejected. They've rejected me. He picks Saul. Saul is a shit leader. David, you know, in, certainly in contrast to Saul, is extraordinary, Right? Not extraordinary because he amasses all this land or wealth or property, but because he is humble. Because when he fucks up, he owns up to it. Sometimes it takes him a while, but he is, he is fundamentally human. That is how the Bible depicts him. They don't put him up on a pedestal. They don't tear him down just because they can. He is one of the only... Uh, you, I, I could argue, I don't know if I would right now, but I could argue that he's the only, like, um, uh, morally credible ruler of certainly the three united, the kings of the united uh, kingdoms, and then probably of most of those of the divided kingdom. But monarchy is not Israel's thing. Um, and so when we get to a figure like Jesus, who's supposed to be the adoption or the inheritor of this, you know, the throne, essentially, uh, God, in my assessment is has taken this thing this worldly human thing of monarchy which you know was wrapped up in both uh it can be a good thing it could be okay but also it's tends toward bad and samuel warns them they're also warned in deuteronomy about what kings will do um and so it's not a a a an uh internally coherent kind of political system to their own story, their own self-understanding. This is kind of like a foreign corruption. 
Jesus, you'll notice in the passage that we read for this Sunday in Luke 1, 26 to 38, it has all this kind of royal language, son of the most high, Lord God, and blah, blah, blah. Even the angel's name, Gabriel, comes out of this Hebrew word, Gibor, which is used very frequently to translate mighty men of valor, you know, brave, strong men, kind of, uh, depending on the translation. Uh, but the angel Gabriel, his name evokes mightiness. You know, the, the Annunciation, Jesus' Magnificat, which we also read, in um, Isaiah 61 as a whole, that um, we looked at last weekend, last uh, on Advent 3, um, it has all these, you know, military uh, nuances that you won't notice unless you're looking for them. Um, the house of David, you know, the, the, when we talk about what we think of kings, you know, they're in their, it's a lineage, right? And it's strictly adhered to, you know, exactly how many people are in line for the throne before you or the next guy. And um, so to be the son of David, which he's called elsewhere, or the son of the Most High, uh, and Mark is called the son of Mary, um, but here in Luke, we have this contrasting voice. It says that both Elizabeth and Mary, or, or I'm sorry, Elizabeth and Mary are uh, blood relatives, cisgenes, one gene, one relative, right? They're blood relatives, not just kind of related in some weird way. They're not friends. They're blood relatives. And it says Elizabeth is a daughter of Aaron, meaning a, from the Levitical line. So Mary is from the tribe of Levi, according to the text. Joseph, who only appears in Matthew and Luke and Mark, you know, he's not named. Paul uh, doesn't mention a father at all. It mentions a mother, but doesn't name her. Her name in Mark and here is given as Miriam, the, uh, the sister of Moses, making Joseph, uh, Jesus' father, kind of an evocation of Joseph, the, the 11th of 12 sons of Israel, also known as Jacob. Um, so it's playing a lot with the language, but Jesus does not receive any genetic material from Joseph. He is not of the line of Judah. He's like grafted into through this adopted parent, Joseph. But he himself is not a, a royal blood. So when we talk about Jesus being king, that is merely a metaphor used to ensure that God's promise is fulfilled, right? He makes David a promise. God says, I will build your, ha- your house as a lasting you know, throne forever, blah, blah, blah. And God keeps God's promises. And here's Jesus who fulfills that and yet who is not himself eligible for the throne because he is not of the, he's, the, he's not genetically a son of David. Um, and so I, I don't want to beat this too much, but there's a lot that I think that's going on in terms of political theology that borrows, and I, I think it's important to listen to last week in Advent 3 and how um, uh, the the language of the ar- the divine warrior armor of God is getting pulled out from Isaiah 59 and 61 in the inaugural speeches of Jesus at Nazareth and Mary in her Magnificat. Um, and so this is this 
reading this morning is mostly about political theology, but it's important to understand how political theology of Israel emerges out of the society that is much more comfortable with martial military uh, metaphor and activity than our own is. You know, every Israelite, every able-bodied male in an ancient society was expected to be prepared to take up arms to defend not only their own family, but the collective of families, whether that's the clan, the tribe, the nation, whatever. And now we live in a society where that's not the case at all. And we've grown unaccustomed to and and uncomfortable with some of the military uh, implications of these texts. And that's part of what First Formation and First Forward is about, is reacclimatizing ourselves to what's already there in the Bible. Um, the divine warrior should not be an offense to us. The armor of God should not surprise us. And, and if we look uh, with properly formed eyes, with properly and inquisitively formed questions, we should not shy away from the fact uh, that, you know, the inaugural speeches of Jesus and Mary are uh, calls to battle, um, that God, through Jesus, through the incarnation, is going to war against the forces of evil in a way that we haven't seen before. Um, and so this is a really important text, not just because it's Christmas, but because it has to do with the very nature of Jesus. And all that being said, if I've kind of uh, uh, thrown some of y'all off, I, I don't do feasts for um, First Formation. That's why this is Advent 4. It's not Christmas Eve. It's not the Nativity of our Lord. This is the recording for Advent 4 and the readings for Advent 4. You know, I kind of leave the feasts, most of the feasts, except for Sundays now, to, you know, the leader leaders who lead, the people who, you know, and the, the ideas, the imaginative structures that privilege some of these cooler, clearer, um, you know, more central um, passages of the Bible. Um, I leave that to, to other people because I think the scraps that fall from the table are, are just as, as nutritious and important and, um, and integral to the tradition of Scripture um, and to our own faith. Um, and it deserves just as much attention. I try to give it here. Um, so, yeah, I hope that's helpful. Check the show links for more from the training room. And thanks again for subscribing to First Forward. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Or, if you serve military families, subscribe to First Forward, a paid subscription feed providing commentary on Sunday lectionary texts a week in advance. Use it for sermon prep or just because you support the troops. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instruction will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with PPUHQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in an episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off of air. So there you have it three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I haven't convinced you to fall in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia. Oh,